Our scripture today is Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we may ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So we're continuing this study in Ephesians, looking at the prayers of the great apostle, the church planter, Paul. And the way Paul prays. And the things that we can learn from Paul's prayers. And how the work of Paul's prayers actually really continue now unto this day. And will continue until Christ comes. And those prayers are fulfilled through the return of our mighty Savior, King Jesus. Bringing Paul's prayers to fulfillment. I have a confidence in that because the, the word of, of God is inspired. This is not a, a man who's writing these things on his own. No, he's pinning these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. God is giving him his words to write. And Paul sees fit at this moment to stop what he's writing And to get down on his knees. And he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. The apostle is writing from prison. And he's bowing on his knees. And he's praying for this church that he planted A church that's going through problems. A church that's going through difficulties. A church of people who we see are going through marriage problems. Uh, A church that has people who are slaves and slave owners. And he's giving instruction to them. And he's giving instruction to children and families. To fathers and mothers. He's giving instruction to people just like you and just like me. People who have problems and need God to fix them. Right? But it's more than God fixing our problems. It's about God strengthening our inner being. Because the apostle knows in his prayer that it's not just about the external circumstances, but it's about this inward work of the heart. So a couple weeks ago, I was in Colorado. Actually, it was about a month ago now. I was in Colorado for a pastors and wives retreat. And we were in Vail, beautiful place. And every morning um, when we were in Vail, we would go for a walk. Actually, I would go for a walk. Um, It was on mountain time. And so I had a hard time adjusting 
to uh, the mountain time. And so um, when it was five o'clock, I thought it was like seven o'clock. And so I was up and ready to go. And, and like, why not? Colorado's beautiful. Um, it's 55 degrees in the morning and the sun is shining brightly at 5 a.m. And you hear the birds chirping, everything's alive. And so each morning I was going for a walk and, and, and on this particular morning, it was the morning right before we left, I, I walked down by the, the, uh, the residential area. There was a, a street that went along this beautiful river called the Eagle River and there were these homes right along the riverbank. Um, uh, there was a road right before the river, but these homes that overlooked the river and overlooked the mountains that were there. And I was just admiring the, the landscape and the beauty. And I was even admiring these homes that fit so beautifully right into the surrounding texture of the mountains that they were in. And as I got down to the end of uh, the road there, there was the Eagle River. And I, I saw the rushing waters of this beautiful river in, in the mountains that were in the, the, the background. And, and right before the mountains, there's uh, Lion's Head Village, which is just a really pretty village down uh, on the south end of Vale. And as I saw this landscape, I turned around and I looked at this house. And I thought, that's a beautiful house. And, and then I saw the view of this house. I thought, that must be a, a beautiful view. Here, here's the picture of the the house and I was looking at that house and I I started to feel a little bad for myself right (laughs) I'm like God you must really love whoever lives there (laughs) anybody ever done that you're, you're looking at someone's life. And so I'm envisioning myself like right in one of those big windows overlooking everything with the fire going. It's 55 degrees. I don't even read the newspaper, by the way. And I'm envisioning myself with the newspaper open, maybe smoking a pipe like Micah and, and, um, and, and just enjoying this, this life that God has given somebody else. <laughs> and I'm thinking, God... God, you must really love them. And then I, and then I realize, no, no, no. God's love is not based upon what we have. Can I, can I just let that sink in for you for a minute? Like God's love is not based upon what we have. God's, ba- God's love is based upon a person. And you could have that and have nothing. You could have that view, you could have the, the Lion's Head Village, you could have a ski pass every winter and have nothing. Because this is, the, this is the reality that we proclaim, is that if I have Christ, I have nothing. That's what Paul wanted for his church. He's writing it from prison. I, I want us to have this key idea in mind. God is more concerned with your inward being, with your inner life, than he is with your external circumstances. God is more concerned with your inner being, with the inner workings of your life, than your external circumstances. It's helpful to know how to pray when you read the scriptures because you learn almost just as much what to pray as you know what not to pray. Nowhere in Ephesians does Paul pray for their external circumstances. He's praying for an inward work of the heart 
And that's, that's what we're going to focus on today because that is the thrust of Paul's prayer is that there is an inner strength that the Holy Spirit, it's a supernatural thing. You can't go to Walmart and buy it. It's a supernatural thing. They don't even sell it on Amazon.com for crying out loud. It's a supernatural thing of the work of the Holy Spirit to bring renewal from the inside out in our lives today. Let's read that little passage there. This, this, this is what we're focusing on for uh, this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. <laughs> before the Father. He calls him Father. That's, that's a new thing for the church at this time period. That's a new thing even for the people of God. They, they knew God as holy. They knew God as mighty. They knew God as majestic. But they didn't know him as Father. Father. From whom every family in, on he, on, in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That we might know that God is father. I, I want for our study of prayer to lead us to prayer. We don't study prayer to like just like fill our heads with the knowledge of prayer. Although sometimes you need the knowledge of prayer in order to know how to pray. And you know, if, if we don't have the Bible telling us how to pray, we're, we're going to depend on what we learn from our parents or those who we grew up. I mean, we, we pray the things that we learned growing up. We were talking about this. We had a leadership retreat just the last two days, Friday and Saturday, had 13 leaders. We were studying prayer together, how to lead others to pray. And one of the things that we talked about is how we learn how to pray. And we learn how to pray by hearing others around us. But we also learn how to pray. And it corrects some of those prayers that we pray in the wrong way through learning how rightly to pray through the word of God. And Paul is right in the vein of Jesus here when he says, our father, (laughs) our father. Jesus is our father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's teaching his disciples how to pray like he's praying and he's teaching. Paul right here is praying and he's teaching. And we're learning from this. And we know that it's really important that as God's children, we approach him as our father. And that's the first lesson. We pray with the humility as a child. You're you're approaching the king of heaven when you pray. That's why he's bowed down. He's, He's coming face to face with the creator of the universe, the one who made the mountains, the one who made the rivers, the one who's made all the invisible molecules between me and you right now. He's made all those things, but he's coming face to face with the creator, but also the one whom he calls dad, Abba, father. Our father, like that, that's, that's the, the approach that we have this morning. That's the approach by which we proceed to the ear of God and the father. Like I, I could hear my kids yelling through a crowd. I could hear them very even quietly through a crowd. My kids aren't that, that uh, quiet anyway. They're always pretty noisy. And so I, I could hear them. And I know their voice, and, and they know mine as well. And I'm pretty loud too. I got a voice that carries. <laughs> and they know when their father is speaking. And so it is God who knows when his children are bowed down in humility, relying upon him. And so, with that, 
I'm going to transition because I got the handy dandy may want to use the handheld in the back. Um, so this is amazing how we can communicate. I, I got the handheld. I'm going to take this off. Just the mic, sorry, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> was, my humor is horrible. I'm learning. I'm learning. Here, here you go, sweetheart. Um, that's my wife, Carrie. She's incredible. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. For this reason, I, I bow my knees as a child of God, praying with humility. And, and what's the reason? Why does Paul pray? Why does he pray? Because he, he's talking to a people who formerly didn't know that they can be God's children. He's talking to a people who formerly didn't know that they could be a part of the family of God. He's talking to a people known as the Gentiles. You have the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Bible brings us these categories of people, and the categories of people in the Bible are the Jews and the Gentiles. And one of the things that Paul is proclaiming between chapters 1 that we read and chapters 3 that we're reading is that there's this mystery of Christ that has now been made known among the Gentiles. That is that Christ has reconciled and redeemed for himself a people of all nations, a people of all tongues, a people of all nationalities. That God, through his grace, has reconciled not just the people who thought they were the people of God as the Jews. Because by this point in history, they're getting pretty prideful and arrogant about it. And God says that the people of God are those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so the gospel is open to all, to the Jews and the Gentiles. That there's only one requirement to the kingdom of heaven. There's only one requirement to be a child of God. There's only one requirement to adoption as the saints of God. And that's that you believe in Jesus Christ as God, the Son that God sent his only son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish. Whosoever would believe in him, says Jesus, would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is why within the church, we should be the most loving community in the whole wide world. This is why within the church, racism should die. This is why within the church, pride should be killed. This is why within the church, the people of God who see differences in one another should not allow those differences to divide us, but should cherish those differences, celebrate those differences, and say, isn't the diverse family of God a beautiful thing? <laughs> That's a humbling thing for Paul. Paul is, is talking about barbarians here. He is talking about those who are enemies to the Jews at this point. The, the Jews saw these people as unclean, but Jesus says they're clean. And if Jesus says they're clean, who am I to say they're not? And that was a big battle in the New Testament. You see between Paul and some of the religious elite of his time, even Peter himself. And Paul brought this to light through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he saw himself as a minister of the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles. Those who formerly were not of the family of God, God has opened a way through the cross of Christ, tearing the veil so that they might know they're his children. And it humbles him. And it says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is the God of all humanity. 
He is the one who made all mankind. My last name is Walker. That's pretty original, isn't it? Walker. Ryan Walker. Every time I go and somebody has to look up my name at the library or something, it's like five of them. (laughs) But every name that is named finds its source in him. He's the father of all. That's a humbling thing. It says that we are not self-sustaining, but we're dependent. And we need God for our life and breath today. We need God for everything that we do. And so when we live with a conscious awareness of that, it leads to a life of humility. Pride crumbles. Arrogance melts away. And we realize that we are children of God. And we are to tell of the good deeds of our Father that he has done on our behalf. Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York City, he says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. (laughs) Like I think about all the times my kids have woken me up at 3 a.m. At some point, they're old enough to get it themselves, and I tell them that. But until that point, I'm getting up to get them a glass of water, right? That's my job. I'm their dad. And they know that they they can ask of their father anything. And they know that they don't need an appointment with their dad. They know that they have this standing open invitation to go to their father and ask of their father and their father will respond to them. Paul knows that within this prayer because he knows he's a child of a king and he wants you to know that you're a child of a king. And and Tim Keller says that we have that kind of access. We have that kind of access. That's the kind of access you have. A child who's maybe two and a half years old and and the, the king in the palace is sleeping. You have access to go straight into his room and wake him up and say, I need a glass of water. I, I think about the disciples when Jesus was sleeping in the boat. There's a storm circumstantially. Everything was messed up. They thought they were going to die. It was hurricane force. This boat was done for. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus is sleeping. And so they go and they wake him up. And and Jesus, he rebukes them when he wakes them up. But he also meets their needs. He, he, He rebukes them and he says, you have little faith. And then he turns to the winds and the waves. And he says, stop. And even the winds and the waves obey him. We have access to the one who controls the winds and the waves. This is the mighty power of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a pastor back in the 1950s in the UK. He says, nothing we can ever learn is more precious for us than to realize this glorious truth. You may be unknown by the world. You may be insignificant. Or you may feel like you've been forgotten. That no one knows anything about you. And that may be true. It may be true. But if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, you belong to God. You are in his family And your father has his eye upon you. 
If you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, you are in the family of God. And right now, while we are here gathered as the children of God, His presence is with us. His eye is upon us. He is in our midst. Our Father is here. His eyes are upon you. Nothing can happen to you apart from Him and without His permission. Nothing. There's nothing that you're going through right now that God doesn't know about you going through and that God, by his sovereignty, is not allowing you to go through right now. There's nothing that he is not aware of. Remember, because God is less concerned about your external circumstances and more concerned about your inner life. And God will allow everything around you to break down so that he could build up you from the inside out. He's not about pretense. He's not about performance. He's not about superficial. He laughs at the superficial. He rebukes the superficial. Because what God wants to see is the supernatural at work in you. What God wants to see is this supernatural work of redemption. That we wouldn't be fake. That we wouldn't be pompous. But that we would be genuinely real and authentic worshipers of Jesus Christ. And so it requires that the Holy Spirit take residence in us. And build us up from the inside out. And get rid of the, the garbage and clutter that shouldn't be there. And renew us and redeem us. This is God's work for us. Man, I'm, I'm going to preach through this quote. You are as much his child as the greatest saint, as the mightiest apostle that has ever lived. There is only one family, the whole family, and he is the father of the whole family. Christians, let us remember that the name that is on us is the name of God, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named That's one of the themes of Ephesians is that our identity is to be in Christ. Over 36 times the apostle references that our identity is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. It's not in what you own. It's not in what you do. It's not in anything that you can accomplish or someone else has accomplished for you except for the person and work of Jesus Christ in Christ. And that's the power of the gospel. I want to raise my kids in that. I want to raise the church in that. God is a God of a legacy. He's a God of a legacy. He's established that legacy in his children. (laughs) That's amazing. That God could take a sinful and wicked and rebellious people and he could establish his legacy in holiness and move it forward. That's an amazing thing. And here we are 2,000 years after Christ. And for all the mess that the church has been, for all, the, for all the, the false antichrist that would come proclaiming Jesus Christ, but do so in a way to suit their own perversions, God would still allow the remnant of the church to move forward his perfect character. In their imperfections. Because he has always been about a work through his children. He he will never leave his children. He'll never forsake them. They will always have them by his side. And so will we. And maybe we'll come and go. And another generation will come behind us. Or maybe Jesus will come back. But ultimately to see the enduring work of God continue. When we were at that conference up in Colorado, there was a pastor and his wife that did a, a, 
a session on parenting, probably the most valuable session from my wife and I. We were just dialed in. His name's Ray Ortland, and his wife is named uh, Janie. And they have um, four children. He's probably in his late 60s. And we've, we've heard of, of this pastor. Um, we've seen just some of the, 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 the fruit of his ministry. He's in Nashville, Tennessee. We've seen uh, some of his children are also, also authors um, and just godly men and women. And so we're, we're paying attention. And one of the things he, he says is that as he parents his children, that he wants to parent his children to the 10th generation. And so I'm listening because I'm like, oh, 10th generation. Like that's like... You've got like kids and grandkids and great grandkids and great great grandkids and great 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 grandkids and all these grandkids and 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 he says because I want to see the work of God endure well beyond my lifetime, right? And and if you're not a parent, you leave a legacy. Everybody leaves a legacy. It's it's the question of what legacy are you leaving. Because that's the nature of the gospel, is that if you're a child of God, the gospel is going to be made visible through you. The gospel is going to be spreading through you, and people are going to come to know Christ through you. So you are going to leave a legacy. The question is, what kind of legacy are we leaving? And so when, when he and Janie talked about this, they said, we notice that God curses into the 10th generation. So if you study the Old Testament, you see that the curse of God towards those who are rebellious and wicked towards him can go into the 10th generation. But they said if God will curse to the 10th generation and they will experience his wrath because of their unrighteousness, how much more will God bless the 10th generation of those who love him? And Carrie and I are dialed in at this point and we're like, we want to raise our kids. We want to pray for our kids. We want to build a church. Unto the 10th generation. Because it's not about us. And it's about him. And then the beauty of this is in the Great Commission. Because he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of age. You know, I did the math on the 10th generation for our family. 10 generations from now, if my kids get married and they each have three kids. That means I'm going to have nine grandkids. That means I'm going to have 27 great grandkids. That's crazy. Right there, 27 great-grandkids. I hope I live to see all of them. Maybe I won't. It's okay. I'll meet them. And then you keep on doing the math, and it's like 33,000 at 10 generations. 33,000. That's the size of the city of Winter Park, and it's all my fault. (laughs) I take God's command seriously. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? Now, The enduring legacy that I want my kids to leave is not that they would hand down wealth to their children and their children's children. The enduring legacy that I want to leave is not that they would hand down stuff. Because God blesses out of the abundance of his riches and character. And I want my children to hand down to their children. And I want their children to hand down to their children. I want their children to hand down to their children the legacy that we are children of God and Jesus died for us and we are going to tell the whole world about it. And so this multiplication of 30,000 ends up being immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine or think as Paul just prays at the end of this prayer to the 10th generation. That's our new kids ministry slogan right there. 
to the 10th generation that our children would bear forth the image of God, that the name Lord would be tattooed on their heads, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am God's child. He will never leave me for nor forsake me. And so I lay down my life for the sake of the cross. Oh, that's my dream for my family. That's my dream for you. Teach a child in the way he should go. And when he's, not, when he's old, he would not depart from it. Nothing's impossible for God. The second thing that we learn from Paul's prayer is that he wants us to be strengthened from the inside. He wants us to be strengthened from the inside. Oftentimes, a lot of our prayers are, we come into a problem and then we start to pray. And we pray for that problem. But we don't realize that the problem might be something that God's doing in our heart. And so we forget about this inner work all the while just saying, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. But what God wants to do is deeper than that. What God wants to do is more than that. And what God wants to do is strengthen you. And so he allows those trials. He allows those difficulties. He allows those times of dependence to emerge. He allows us even to the point of desperation to know that in our despairing is where we find him. Because it's in those moments where we're at our bottom that God best gets our attention to say, are you ready to trust me now? Are you ready to believe in me now? Are you ready to follow me now? Are you ready to stop doing this thing your way? Are you ready to start doing this thing my way? That's what God does. And, and do you know, like, if I want my kids to be kids That'll live for the glory of God to the 10th generation. I got to be okay with that when God does that for them. I can't soften the blow. Father disciplines the child. It shows his love. If father doesn't discipline his child, then it shows that the father's not really a loving father. But the father's after his own interest. But this father, this father disciplines his child so that they would walk in him. And he allows that breaking down to happen because God will rebuild us. This is his care for you. That according to the riches of his glory, God doesn't just give you stuff. He's not like the dad who's just busy and consumed working, who's just happy providing for you and saying, how much more money do you need? What do you need? Let me give it to you so you can get out of my hair. No, no, God wants you. He wants you. And what does God give you himself? That's what it means that God gives gifts according to the riches of his glory. He doesn't give you from the abundance of his stuff. He gives you from the abundance of himself. That's the gift of the gospel. God himself, Jesus Christ, God's only son, came to show us it. To show us that we now have access as children of God By the grace of God given through our heavenly father. To be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flows the spring of life. What you do in your life matters. It really does. Don't hear me say that what you do in this life doesn't matter. Because that is not true. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. 
We, we, we can believe that all day long. Somehow Jesus Christ has set me free. So what I do doesn't really matter. That's believing a lie. Because from everything that you do flows the realities of what's taken place in your heart. And so when you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings a conviction in your life that says that he wants to do this work on the inside. And God's not just concerned about your change in behavior. That's legalism. God's not just concerned with you changing the externals and trying to obey the rules. No, that's why Jesus had to come and be perfect because he's the fulfillment of the law because we can't fulfill it in of our, in of our own strength. But we, as the children of God, realize that if we believe in God, that the things of God will come out of the abundance of his work in us. Just like the good gifts of God come from the abundance of his character, from the abundance of our character that God has worked in us in giving us new life, it will flow out of us. And so those things are the things that are, should be honoring to God, holy and pleasing to him. We should be living a life that's saying that I'm not perfect, but God's not done with me yet. He's working in me right now. He's not done with me yet. It's called sanctification. It means that God's at work in you and you need him right now just as much, if not more, than you needed him yesterday or 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever it is. I make an assumption about each and every one of you today that you need God more than you think. You can make that assumption of me. And that's the reality that we see when Paul says that you might be strengthened in your inner being. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. Call him the Holy Ghost in some camps. I like that. I like that. You know why? Because he dwells in our hearts. No, no, he, he better than dwells in our hearts. He takes up residence in our hearts. There's a guy named D.A. Carson. He uses this illustration. He says, when the Holy Spirit takes residence in our hearts, it's like a young married couple buying a fixer-upper house. And that house is not nearly the way they want that house. It's got mold. It's got mildew. It's got, you know, old 1920s paneling. And they're just, they're, they, but, but they buy that house. And then they have this dream for that house, that that house is theirs. And they take up residence in that house. And they know it's going to be a lot of work. And so slowly and surely, they're doing one thing at a time, allowing that place to be their dwelling place as they take up residence. They build a home there. That's what God wants to do in you. And it's, you're not perfect now. Like, it's not like he just zaps you and everything gets all back together again. No, that's why sanctification is painful. Because God is taking out the garbage that has been in there. He's taking out the things that have hurt you and harmed you, the things that you've relied upon that have replaced him. He's taking out those things and he's renewing you. And this is a work that only the Holy Spirit could do. This is what it means when the Holy Spirit lives in us. This is why Paul says that the hope of glory is Christ in you. Christ in you. And he leads you to the life of sanctification. He leads you to a life of holiness. And it's a process by which we trust him. The, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit our counselor. Carrie and I, we went to counseling. This is about four years ago. And, and, and it was year seven. And year seven hit us like a ton of bricks, man. It was like, oh my goodness, we got some problems. And I had no idea. <laughs> 
And so we went to counseling because my pastor told me, you need to go to counseling. I was like, all right, I got to counsel. I'm a pastor, by the way, at this point. My pastor's telling me I got to go to counseling. It means if I don't, I'm going to get fired. So I go to counseling. Now, you don't go to counseling in order to spend $100 and just let things go from one ear out the other. The reason why you're going to spend $100 for counseling is because you actually want to act on what the counselor is going to tell you, right? He's not a consultant. He's a counselor. And you're trusting him with yourself. You're trusting her with yourself. This is the Holy Spirit. He's not a consultant. It's not like, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you think? Hmm, I'll consider that option. Yeah, that sounds like it might be a good plan. But I have a better plan. No way. No, he's, he's our counselor. We entrust him with our heart. We entrust him with our care. We say, what you want to do is what I want to be done. And so what you're doing, I'm going to walk in cooperation with you. And it was one of the most fruitful, even though it was one of the most hard years of our marriage in our lives. It was one of the most fruitful. And it's bearing fruit and growing to this day because we trusted the counselor. And we trust the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is at work in our lives today. He's not our consultant. He's our counselor. Listen to him. Matt Chandler says, no change of job, no increased income, no new home, no new electronic device, or no new spouse is going to make things better inside you. So fix your eyes upon Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. I was on a jog. I told you about my jogging escapades with my son. It's my discipleship time with Camden. And I was, I was kind of thinking about that idea that I started with, that, that, you know, if things are going well, or if I have what I want, then God must really love me. And I was thinking about that, and I was actually telling my son, sometimes I believe that, and how really it's a lie. And I I said, Damon, can you just pray that I won't believe that? He said, Daddy, sometimes I believe that too. I said, really? You do too? Like, your dad's a pastor. Like, what is he doing? Come on. He says, yeah. He He said, when I have a hard time at school, I think God doesn't love me. He says, or when I get picked on, I think that God doesn't love me. He thinks God's punishing him because things aren't going well. And I, when we were running, we memorized this verse together. Romans 5, 8. For while we were still sinners, Christ died. For God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. It means that nothing will get in the way of God's love for you. Because while you were at your worst, God gave you his best. I don't care who you are today. I don't care how bad you were or how royally you messed it up. While you were at your worst, God gave you his very best. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Surrender to it. Believe in it. Bow down before it. This is the one who is making all things new. He is reconciling us. And and while God's doing that, he is calling people around you from death to life, from death to life, from death to life. 
because of this inner working that his Holy Spirit's producing in you. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. I want to invite you, and, and if you feel uncomfortable with this or physically you're unable to, that's completely okay. But I want to invite you to start as Paul started, bowing your knees before the Father. And it's okay, you could be bowed down in heart. If you want space, you can have the space, but let's just take a posture of the humility that the Apostle Paul brought and say, God, breathe into me that which is lacking and bring about in me your will. I trust in Jesus. So let's posture ourselves in our hearts or physically in our bodies, if you would like, in a posture of dependence. Father, Father, we bow down. God, the whole room is filled with people who have believed the lies that your love comes with a, a, a big bow on it and circumstances being good or bad things not happening. The whole room is believe those things, God. But you, God, say being a child means so much more. Being a child means that the gift has been given through your only begotten son. And God, there is nothing that we can do that would separate us from that love. No height, no depth, nothing. Not even death itself would separate us from the love that you have in Christ Jesus. Satan can't steal it. No one can take it away from us. There's nothing we could do to lose us. It's there. It's there right now. The love that this world will fail to give us that we're constantly searching for is the love that you offer us. And it's a love that is better than we could ever imagine. God, we come as receivers. Receivers of that love. Cherishing, God, the good gift of Christ. And we humbly bow before you. Saying, God, we are... We're desperate, but because we're desperate, Lord, we realize we're not despairing because you meet us right where we're at. Meet us where we're at, God. Holy Spirit, take up residence in our soul. And we honor you, and we worship you, and we give you glory and praise because you are worthy, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name.